Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Every book follows a formula. There's an introduction. There's a, there's a, a laying out of a, of a scene or a scenario. There's the introduction of the characters. Then there's the middle part of the plot where it starts to build. There's a crescendo to the end. And then there is an ending and maybe an epilogue. But in all of those things, a good book or a good movie requires what? A good ending. It's got to have a good ending. Like we all love movies or books that have good endings. It's not a good book or a good movie if the ending is no good. Like it's just not good. And when we think about endings, what type of endings do we see? Well, I reckon there's three. There might be more, but I reckon there's three. The first one we see is the happy endings. The movie or the story is a happy endings. Think about Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Has anyone seen that movie? It's a happy ending. The good guys win. You know, none, none of the really, really main good guy characters die or, or good girl characters. You know, evil gets beaten. And on top of that, like there's people getting married and they're in love. It's a happy ending. How about this? The cliffhanger ending. Does anyone know this? TV series do this the best. Like, they do this the best. They, at the end of a season, there's always a cliffhanger. Why do we have cliffhangers? To make you come back for the next season or to make you come back for the next show. An example of this is the TV series 24. Has anyone ever seen that? Every episode was one hour in one day. And can I tell you, if I ever lived a day like that, I think I would pass out at the end of that 24 hours. So stressful, so eventful. But every episode is one hour and one day. And every episode had a cliffhanger. Ooh, what's going to happen? Ooh, is the bomb going to blow up? Ooh, is Jack Bauer going to beat the baddies? Ooh, what's happening? You know, a cliffhanger to get you to come back. And what about this? The twist ending. The ending you didn't see coming. Has anyone seen the movie The Usual Suspects? That's got a good cliffhanger, in, uh, sorry, a good twist ending. If you haven't seen it, I won't explain it, but it's got a great ending. There's a twist at the movie that you didn't see coming. They introduce something or something changes. It's such a great ending. Today we're going to look at how the story of Jesus ends. And on Good Friday, we were left at the, cling, at the cliffhanger of Jesus is dead. He's dead. He's been buried he is in the tomb, and what is going to happen next? And if you put yourself in that moment of time, if you put yourself as one of the disciples or a Roman soldier or a religious leader of the time, what's going to happen next? Jesus is dead, and everyone thinks it's over. The religious leaders, the governor, the disciples of Jesus, the crowds, they think it's over. To them, it's a good ending. To some of these people, they think it's a good ending, this heretic. This person who said he was the son of God, he's dead. This is a good ending. To the disciples, though, for them, it's a sad ending. It's like, this is not how we thought it was going to go. We thought Jesus was going to establish an earthly kingdom, and now he's dead in the tomb. Endings can make or break the story. And when it comes to Jesus, how you believe it ends is so, so important. It really matters. There is a significance in how you believe Jesus' story ended. See, the ending of a movie or a book might determine whether someone gives it a five-star or a thumbs-up or a thumbs-down or recommends someone go see the movie to a friend. But the way that Jesus' story ends has an eternal significance. 
an eternal significance and consequence for every single person that has lived in the past, every single person that is alive today, anyone alive this morning in this place, every person alive today, and every single person still to be born into the future, there is an eternal significance. So let's open our Bibles this morning. We're going to turn to Luke 24. Let's read how the story of Easter and Jesus ends. Luke 24, verse 1. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in. I'm just going to pause here for a moment. If, if you went to a tomb and the stone was rolled away, would you walk in? Like if you went to a gravesite today and the grave was open, would you jump in? Like I don't know about that. But anyway, they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. This, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the Bible. And it says this, Then the men ask, Why are you looking among the dead? Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He's not here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he said, when he told you back in Galilee, the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. I feel like sometimes as Christians, we live our lives as if Jesus isn't alive. Like we live our lives as if, oh, the, the pressures of the world, the, the hurts of the past, all these things are just weighing us down. But Jesus is alive. And I feel like if we lived in that reality, they would transform our lives. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. Men, man, we're always so unbelieving, aren't we? We're like, no, I don't believe it. Uh, you know, so, um, they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up. And ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. I love it. I love the words that these guys say. Why are you looking amongst the dead? Why are you looking amongst the dead? If you came to church today to talk about a dead Jesus in the tomb, you're in the wrong place. Today's Resurrection Sunday. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And it means that for you, if you believe in Jesus in this place, that you too are alive. We call this event the resurrection. The resurrection. It's the act of Jesus coming back to life. And as Christians, we call Easter Sunday Resurrection Sunday. Turn to someone and say, it's Resurrection Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday. Jesus is alive. It is good news. Does anyone need to hear good news today? Good news, Jesus is alive. He has risen. See, the cross and the resurrection are the cornerstones of Christianity. If you believe in Jesus, you need to believe in the cross and you need to believe in the resurrection. See, at the cross, Jesus took upon himself the punishment of our sins. He took upon himself the wrath of God. But at the resurrection, Jesus defeated death and promises us eternal life. 
So Jesus takes the sins and, and, and pays the price. But then at the resurrection, death could not hold him. He was a sinless man. Death can only hold people who are sinful. It could not hold him. He rose again and he offers us, he promises us resurrection power too if we believe in him. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why it's so important. It's not just a long weekend. It's not just a time to have some Easter eggs, the Easter bunny and all those kinds of things. It's not just time to eat food, even though I do all those things. But it's a time to remember Jesus. And you might be here today and you think this all sounds like nonsense. You're like, the man, no, he's not risen. This all sounds like nonsense. That This ending of Jesus is too unbelievable. I can't believe it. It's too unbelievable. Or you could be here today and you fully believe that this ending is true, that Jesus did rise again. Or perhaps you're here today and you're somewhere in the middle. You're not sure about all these things. Whatever place you find yourself in, the story of Jesus can only have two conclusions. It either happened or it didn't happen. There's only two conclusions you come from. Jesus did rise from the dead or he didn't rise from the dead. So let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about the resurrection. Let's talk about him rising from the dead and still being alive. What if the resurrection really happened? Turn to someone and say, what if the resurrection really happened? If the resurrection really happened, it means that he must be who he claimed to be. He must be divine. He is God. And all the things he said must be true. Look at what it says in the scripture, John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If he rose again, this is true. Look what else he says in John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, live even though they die. This statement must be true. But what about this flip side? What about if the resurrection didn't happen? Here's the amazing thing about the Bible. Not only does the Bible address the resurrection being true, it also addresses what if the resurrection is not true. I love this. In 1 Corinthians 15, 17, 19 and 32, Paul says this, But if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless And you are still guilty of your sins. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. And if there is no resurrection, let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die. What's Apostle Paul saying here? He's saying that if the resurrection didn't happen, Jesus is a hoax. Anything that he said is not true. If the resurrection did not occur, the whole Bible deserves nothing but your contempt. Anyone who believes it is to be pitied. Uh, Anyone who believes it must have something wrong with them. But what is clear, what is very clear is that you have a choice to make. See, you can't put Jesus in the category of some good teacher. You can't put Jesus in the category he was some good moralist. You can't put Jesus in the the category of he's just one of the ways, one of many ways to God. See, Jesus and the Bible don't give you that option. We preach Jesus and Christ crucified only. He is either everything he came to be or he is nothing at all. And myself being a pastor of a church 
This is gonna this is gonna flip your mind. I believe Jesus rose again. <laughs> I'm firmly in the camp that Jesus rose again as a follower of Christ. He is who he came to be, the Son of God, and more importantly, he did rise again, like the scriptures say. See, it's the resurrection of Jesus that separates our founder of our religion from every other religion. It's the resurrection of Jesus that separates Christianity from the three other major religions of the world, um, um, Islam, Hinduism, and um, Buddhism. See, Christianity claims that its founder is alive, risen, living, not dead, still with us, still speaking, still interceding on our behalf. He is alive. So I believe the resurrection is a real event that actually happened. And I also believe it is the most pivotal and important event in all of history, of all of time, past, present, and future. So today, what proof do we have for Jesus' resurrection? I'm going to list out three proofs. Proof one, the empty tomb. And here's some ways that people say that they don't believe that Jesus is alive, that they try to disprove the empty tomb. They say things like this, they looked in the wrong tomb. There's some debate today about where the tomb of Jesus is. If you go to Jerusalem, if you go to Israel, you can go to a place where they say this is where Jesus was buried. But there's a bit of debate about that, whether that's true or not. But what we do know is that in the time that after Jesus immediately died, and the decades after, they knew where the tomb was. Like they actually knew where the tomb was and they were able to go and inspect it and to verify it was empty and there was no body found. In fact, even the Romans and the Jewish religious leaders of the time admitted the tomb was empty. The tomb's empty. They say things like this, maybe then if the tomb was empty, the disciples stole the body. The disciples stole the body, okay? So in an attempt to explain why there's no corpse of Jesus... And empty two, the religious leaders claim that the disciples of Jesus stole the body of Jesus. But this cannot be true. I don't believe it can be true. See, the Bible says, and other historians say, that the tomb of Jesus was guarded by Roman soldiers. I don't know if you know this, but in the time of Jesus, the preeminent army of the world was Romans. Extremely well-trained, well-equipped Highly trained, they were very, very good at what they do. Just go back, look in the history books, you'll see all about it. The Romans were incredibly successful. So I don't believe it's plausible that a few fishermen, a tax collector, a doctor, all these guys got together and decided, you know what, let's just go and attack those Roman soldiers. I mean, we're not even allowed to have swords or anything like that, but we're going to go and fight these guys with spears and swords and things like that. I don't believe the disciples stole the body. Number two proof we have for the risen Savior is the disciples' experiences with the risen Savior, a risen Christ. The disciples of Jesus claim to have had experiences with the risen God. Here's some ways people try to discredit the disciples. They say things like this, the disciples were lying. They make the claim that the disciples that were remaining have lied about the story of Jesus rising again. If you don't know this, 10 of the disciples who believed in Jesus at that time where his disciples died martyr deaths. It means that they died believing in Jesus and not denying him. They were given the opportunity to deny Jesus, but rather than deny Jesus' resurrection, they choose to die as martyrs. Hard to imagine a few of them dying for a lie, but every single one of them. 
And some of them died close to Jesus' death, and some of them died many, many years later. See, people will die for a lie they believe is true. For instance, let's just say we're told a lie that will cause our nation to attack another nation. We'll die for a lie, but people won't die for a lie that they know is a lie. Like if I know someone's lying about something, I'm not going to go off and die for that person for a lie. They won't die for a lie they know is a lie. Many of the disciples were married. They had families. They had children. And yet not one of them recanted their belief in Jesus' resurrection. They believed in the resurrection so much they gave their lives for it. Another claim that is made is that the disciples were hallucinating. They hallucinated seeing the Christ, the risen Savior. Maybe they hallucinated the resurrection. The Bible says that women, disciples, a further 500 followers, all had experiences of Jesus after he died. They experiences of face-to-face meetings, uh, times where they touched him, where they ate food with him, uh, fellowship with him, uh, t- listen to Jesus, teach to them, all these types of things. And so they say they hallucinate. Well, what we know is that group hallucinations can occur, you know, mass hysteria can occur. We've seen that in history throughout time. But it's very rare, and hallucinations are usually individual in nature. So it's not usually, you know, to have 500, 600 people all experiencing the same thing is very unusual. It also, hallucinations may, I don't believe it does, but may explain the disciples, but it doesn't explain the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wasn't a disciple of Jesus. In fact, he hated Jesus. He went around hunting for people who believed in Jesus and killing them. And yet he has an experience where he not only starts believing in Jesus, but he then goes on and writes most of the New Testament, half of the New Testament. See, he didn't hallucinate Jesus. He wasn't there. So why did the disciples believe they had seen a risen Savior? Because they really had seen a risen Savior. And then number three, proof three, the Christian faith is a proof of why Jesus rose from the dead. Whether you believe Jesus rose from the dead or not, it's very clear that the disciples believed that Jesus rose from the dead. Whether they were right or wrong, okay, they really believed it. But where did this belief come from? What influenced this way of thinking? Like if you believe something today, there is a reason for it. Someone has told you it. You've read about it. You've been influenced in some way to believe what you believe, right? We all understand that today. So how were the disciples influenced to think that God came to earth as a human, that he lived a sinless life, he died, and then he rose again three days later? What were the influences? Was it pagan influences? Was it Jewish influences? Or were there some other influences that got the disciples to believe that Jesus rose from the dead well let's look at pagan influences it's unlikely to be pagan now pagan is like a a religion that didn't believe in God like a pagan or mysterious uh, religion or belief in the time where Jesus was alive there was no major influences of those types of religions in Judea in Palestine Um, There was no other parallels of a dying, risen Savior. There was no other parallels of a God who came to earth to die for his people. None of those types of things. They mainly originate after Christianity has been established. Also, the other thing is the early Christians were all Jews. They were all Jewish. There was no way that they would have been influenced by pagan or some other mysterious religions, they just would not have accepted or borrowed those ideas. What about this? Maybe it was Jewish influences. 
uh, uh, scholars say it's unlikely to be that. See, first century Judaism has no concept of a risen saviour in the middle of history. They have a concept of a rising again at the end of time, but they have no concept of an individual person rising from the dead in the middle of history. This is another good argument against group hallucinations or mass hysteria. See, you know, um, psychologists say that hallucinations cannot contain anything new. They are already ideas or things that you've been thinking about or influences that you've had in your life already. So the early Christians were Jews and having no concept of a Messiah rising again. In that point in history, they thought it would be in the future. They could not have hallucinated it. So there were no pagan or Jewish or other external influences that formed the disciples' view of a risen Jesus. Instead, it was based on real and personal experiences that they had of seeing a risen Jesus. If the kids could come, that would be good. So if this is all true, if this is all true, and you may or you may not believe it today, but if this is all true, and I believe it today with all my heart, it changes everything. This changes everything. See, if the ending of Jesus is a resurrection, then the ending is really a beginning. If the ending of Jesus, if the ending of the story of Jesus is a resurrection, then the ending is really a beginning. See, contrary to popular belief, Christianity and the resurrection are not about bad people becoming good. It's not about mean people becoming nice. It's about dead people coming back to life. See, Ephesians 2, 1 says this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, but God is so rich in mercy and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. And you might be here today and you're thinking to yourself, I'm a good person. I'm good to people. I love my family and yeah, okay, maybe sometimes I lose my temper. Maybe sometimes I do the wrong thing by people. Maybe sometimes I cheat on my taxes, but I've never really done bad things. I've never really done bad things like some other people. And if I could just stop you for a moment there in that way of thinking, if I could just share an illustration for you, a story for you, let's just stop for a minute and just imagine right now that we're taking a walk through famous battlefields in the past. You know, we're taking a walk through, I don't know, some battlefields in the Second World War, the First World War. We're going back to the, the American War of Independence, um, not Independence, the um, Civil War. And we're going through some of those battle places there. Or we're going back further in history. Just think about it right now. We're walking through. What's the aftermath of a battle? Fallen soldiers. Dead people. You know, there's a, that's the aftermath. And as we're walking through them, we're looking at different body, bodies, and this, this might be grotesque for you to think about, or you might not like to think about this, but just think about it for the moment. As we're walking along, we're seeing different bodies on the ground. And some of those people, if we're talking modern history, it might be just the perfectly placed shot or something, this perfectly placed wound that has caused them to be fallen. Or for others, it might be some sort of explosion or gas or something else there's something more devastating which has caused them to fall and to die. Let me ask you this question. Is any one of them more dead than the other? No, if you're dead, you're dead. 
It doesn't matter if it was a perfect wound or if it was an explosion. And the Bible says that we were dead because of our sin. Sin isn't just bad things. It's anything that exalts itself above God's commands, His laws, anything that worships God higher than God Himself. That is sin. And you may not like to hear this, but all of us are sinners. And see, our sin, it separates us from God. And here's where so many people miss the point of the Bible. Here's where so many people get it wrong. They miss the point of Jesus and the Christian faith. See, we don't need five moral ways to live our life. We don't need lessons on how to do life better. We don't need to go from bad to good. We don't need to go from dead. What we do need to do, I should say, is we need to go from dead to alive. Not bad to good, dead to alive. That's the message of the cross. That's the message of Jesus. And at the resurrection, Jesus broke the power and the hold of sin. He defeated death. He rose again. And He's offering us that same freedom from sin, from death, to be made alive in Him. A spiritual aliveness, an eternal life that Jesus offers us. Through the resurrection of Jesus, you can know freedom. You can know hope. You can know love like you've never dreamed possible if you will believe in Jesus. Ephesians 2.8, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. You can't boast about your good works. God's not interested in your good works. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. It's not about what you do or you don't do. It's not about what you say or you don't say. It's not about whether you're good or bad. It's not about your abilities or your skills. It's not whether you swear or don't swear, drink or don't drink, watch this or don't watch this. It's not about doing this or doing that. It's about none of those things. Instead, It's about God who loved you so much. He sent His Son Jesus to die for you, to take the punishment of your sins, the punishment that you should bear. Jesus bore on the cross Himself for you, for me. He died. But the amazing thing is that He he died for you, but Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose again. And as we come before God and say, God, I accept your son, Jesus, there is a spiritual death that occurs. Our old person dies, but there is a resurrection life that occurs for us as well as we are brought to life through his son, Jesus. I don't know your story or how it ends, but your story brought you here today. It's not by accident. It's so you could hear this message. It's so you could hear about a man called Jesus, a saviour, King, So you could know the story of Jesus and what, he, what looked like His end, but was in fact the beginning of something wonderful and something beautiful for us. But the story of Jesus' resurrection doesn't end there. It requires a response from us. We either believe it or we don't. And if you don't believe it, that's okay. That's fine. All I ask is that this week, as you leave this place today, just I just ask you, just think about it. Just think about it. Talk to someone. I ask you this, I even say this. Why don't you ask God to reveal Himself to you? You may not believe in God. You may not believe in Jesus and the resurrection. But why don't you just ask, God, if you're real, if Jesus rose from the dead, would you reveal yourself to me? 
However, if you're here and you do now believe for the first time perhaps that Jesus is real, that He did rose again from the dead, I want you to do something with me today. And that's, that's pray a simple prayer. The Bible says this in Romans 10, 9. If you will openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. This is your response to Jesus' resurrection. And it's the beginning of a new chapter in the story of your life. Let's close our eyes this morning. God, today, we just thank you. Lord, I just pray if there's any person here this morning.